Well, tonight I'm welcoming up Susie Chun. Some of you know her. Susie, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and I've, I've asked Susie to be here because uh, we have a wonderful guest speaker. His name is Pastor Alberto, and his wife Gina is here with us too. And uh, Susie has a uh, uh, just explain how you connected with Pastor Alberto. Okay, it's a wonderful story, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Pastor Sheldon, for having um, Alberto and Gina be able to be here tonight. We met, Lester and I went to, some of you know, we went to Israel in 2014 to a school called the School of Ministry at the top of Mount Carmel. And it's a school designed to, for people who want to know more about Israel, who love Israel, and to find their purpose and sort of a destiny related to Israel and his people generally throughout the world. So people from all over the world come. And... Here we were, some of you may know, Hawaii is here, this little island halfway around the world is Israel. And so we kind of have sometimes an island mentality or whatever, but our, for Lester and I, it was a life-changing experience. And part of the life-changing experience was meeting our dear friends, Alberto and Gina. We became besties right away. We sat in class together. When it was our free night, we went out to pizza together and just enjoyed each other's company. And it was there that I began to see who they really are. And they not only have been our friends, this is our, their second trip here, but they have been our mentors because they have wonderful teaching that they want to share. Now, they're also going to have a seminar this week. Could you explain just a little bit about that? Okay. What that, that looks like? Sure. Last time they were here, they sat down with Lester and I for days, actually, and poured into us a wonderful teaching about the gospel from Genesis through the New Testament into the book of Revelation, really centering a lot on Genesis 1, 2, 3, and then seeing it and how the bride of Christ is developed through that. It was life-changing for me last year. And so he is going to be sharing in a seminar this weekend starting Friday evening, Saturday daytime, and Sunday evening, continuing on what he's going to be talking about tonight, about the Bride of Christ, and how this foundation, setting a foundation that is so rich. So I encourage everybody to come. And is that going to be in the Fellowship Hall? Fellowship Hall, which begin registration Registration 530? Right. Okay, got it. <laughs> My I heard you. All right. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll have a, a light supper that night okay. for free. Everybody can come. And then that evening, and then we begin again, I think, 9.30. Saturday, lunch for you. We end mid-afternoon on Saturday, and then again Sunday evening. I encourage you all to come. It just lays this found, awesome foundation. So where is he from? He is from Manila. Manila. <laughs> so my, my roots. Yeah. So. <laughs> so Gina and Alberto are both from uh, Manila in the Philippines. They are uh, parents of three, grandparents to five, and the, they, have, they have credentials. They are well-known Bible teachers. Alberto was a pastor for many years. They have taught from young to university level. But the best credential I give for them is they have such a love of God and a love for the body. And to help each of us get a global vision 
on what God has for us in these very special times we live in. So would you welcome with me Pastor Alberto as he comes up and shares with us tonight. Gina, we welcome you too, Gina. Yes, we do. So thank you. I want to say welcome and welcome. This is Anella. She's going to give you a wonderful lay that it represents thank our you. heart thank for you. you. <laughs> and our congregation so dearly loves you already. So thank, thank you, you so much, much for being here. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, I feel the Filipino blood in you. It's still an active I get the blood, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty thick, you know, it's, it's thick in me, so yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's leaving me. Okay. <laughs> Not for good, though. She should be here. Okay. Sorry. I don't know why my... It's, it's the blood. Okay. Have fun, Pastor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let's come before the Lord, maybe. Thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful opportunity for this church that has opened up its arms and heart to receive your word And like little children, we're all gathered here to sit and learn from your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the servant heart that this church has, the humility that it has. And may you alone increase while all of us decrease. And may every heart here be ready like good soil to receive the seed that you're going to be planting here today. We pray this in the mighty name of you, Our dear Abba Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and through the Holy Spirit, our wonderful counselor and teacher. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, When you hear the word, um, well, first and foremost, before I start, I'd like to thank Pastor Sheldon, his wife, Heidi, our host, Susie Lester, and also uh, Pauline Spencer, Pastor Pauline Spencer, for giving us this open door to, to you. And without the gatekeepers, we would not be here to share. And I, I pray that you're praying with me as we're sharing so that the Lord is going to be respected and honored in what we have to, to release today. Okay. First and foremost, when you hear the word full gospel, what comes to your mind? Full gospel. There was a time when full gospel meant being able to jump around and sing with your hands up. You hit that time, 70s and 80s, and then later on it progressed. Full gospel meant speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But today I'd like to Uh, share with you full gospel as recently impressed is the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. The gospel from Genesis to Revelation. And why is it important that we think of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation? It is important because we cannot have a myopic view of the gospel. The gospel is not just our favorite verse It is not just our favorite book, but it has to be from where God began it and where God ended it as far as the book is concerned, but it even goes beyond it because we know our God is infinite. So where would begin in the gospel? You know, the gospel begins in the first verse of the Bible. 
Let's turn to it now. Let's look at it. And we have probably looked at this verse before, memorized it, but we will show you how strong the word is from the very beginning. And when you're able to understand the gospel as beginning from the first verse of the Bible, you will have an appreciation and an empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, verse 21. So it begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you look into the study of the book, especially of Genesis, Genesis 1, you're introduced to people ask, when you ask them, what's Genesis 1 about? And all of you said, Genesis 1 is about? Most will say it's about creation. But when you look into the Bible, into the Word, you will find out it is not about creation, but it is about the God of creation. When you watch a play and stage, you're not looking at the backdrop. You're looking at the characters in play. And here in Genesis chapter 1, the word God appears more than 30 times to show that He is the central figure. In the beginning, God. We were not even there yet, and God was already there. So we cannot be smarter than Him, right? A kid is not smarter than its parent. So we cannot ever be smarter than God. In the beginning, God created. So he was the one responsible for everything. And we know something about creation. Those of you that are artists create things. And it takes a lot. And what you make, you're bigger than what you've made. Even if you've made a rocket ship, it took people to create that. So here we see... God being there before we all were, and he was the one that created, voila, the heavens and the earth. Have you tried doing the same thing? Creating the heavens and the earth? Naturally not. We cannot even speak the word and something happens the way it is supposed to happen. So, if we believe the first verse in the Bible, which is a reference point for everything. So when the writer Moses writes this down, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's not asking for our opinion. He's declaring a state of fact. You may choose to accept it or not, but if you accept it, you'll be able to enter into the whole Bible, but if you reject it, you will be out. And then you'll have to learn it some other way. But when you think about this God who made the heavens and the earth, and when you tune in and watch uh, National Geographic or these, his channels and look at nature and all of that, you think to yourself, if he can do that, what can he not do? In other words, why is this the gospel? It is the gospel because if I unite myself to the God of Genesis 1-1, I'm already entered into good news. See, would you entrust yourself in somebody that could not do the same things? 
What is the opening line or the opening key for all the verses? The opening key for all of Genesis 1 is this. What does each line in the Bible of Genesis tell us about God? So the first line, in the beginning, well, he was there from the beginning. He is eternal. God created. He's a God that's able to have power to create something with design, with purpose, and the heavens and the earth that's much larger than us. And then it talks about patterns here that we see. And we see patterns like, and God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And God said, you go and look through the patterns. And in Hebrew literature, when there is pattern and repetition, it means it is important. It doesn't even have to be Hebrew literature. It just has to be even your mother or your wife. When she keeps on telling you something, it means it is important. (laughs) So when the Lord repeats something, he is emphasizing something about it that he is trying to get it drilled into our head. And the first one is when God said something, it happens the way it's supposed to happen. And we draw from this, God's word, it is powerful. And when God says something, it happens the way he intended it to happen. So his word is not only powerful, it is also true. You know, um, you go through Genesis 1 through this, and you're able to arrive at a picture and understanding of God not just point one, two, and three, but in the scenario, in the arena where it took place. So creation was the arena where it took place, but the highlight there was who was this God that created everything there? So we got it. He's there from the beginning. He has power to be able to create. His word is powerful. Therefore, he is powerful. And then when you go there, He talks about he separated light from darkness, the water below from the water above, the land and the sea. So those are patterns. And when he does that, this is the pattern of separation and contrast. The Lord works with separation and contrast. And this is, in effect, how he brings about certain points like in our lives, it's not always bright. In fact, we were in darkness. And many of us come to the Lord because we are in darkness. And that is actually part of the scenario of why the gospel works. We're in darkness and we're brought out. For us to know good news, there is bad news. This is the way that God works, not only in Genesis, but throughout the Bible until the end. So what are we doing here? We're laying the foundation for the whole Bible, for the whole understanding of Scripture from Genesis onward to Revelation. And those of you that build have an idea that when you build, if your foundation is good, you can build whatever on top and it will hold. But if your foundation is bad, no matter how beautiful your decor is or what kind of roof you use, when the foundation begins to shake, that whole thing will crumble. And this is why so many people get lost 
or get destroyed in their faith because they have forgotten how to develop strong Genesis foundations. And you can go there again and again, again and again, and review, and the Lord will just keep on releasing and releasing. It is no wonder why God put it in the beginning of his book. This is the foundation, Genesis. And from there, he builds all the way up. So there is consistency from the ground up. And the consistency has to do with his nature and character. He is the same yesterday and forever. And that is important. That's an important reference for us as we look to the development not only of our understanding of God, but in communicating that understanding with other people. We do have um, the joy to be able to share it with someone. And when we know what we're sharing, we are excited because the Holy Spirit begins to work in them to bring about that excitement. Why? Because they're also made in the same way that we have been done. So what we're going to enter now into is... um, Four verses that I'd like to share with you, having developed somewhat the importance of starting in Genesis and how this is all going to build up. Four verses that I'd like to share with you, and think of them as four legs in a chair. Or in a usual building, there are four corners in a building. And these are four important pillars that move from Genesis all the way to Revelation to show you that there is continuity and a trend where God is bringing us all to. And once you get to understand and grasp it, you say, wow, Lord, this is really something. Because even right now, to me, it really is. And I'm so excited to share it with you. What is the first verse? The first verse that we will look at is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27. And it says there, So we're agreed that Genesis 1-1 is the start of the gospel. Genesis 1 is the foundational chapter because it gives us the reference point for everything, and that is God, his nature and character. I'm not able to develop everything now, but in the seminars uh, this coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we will be able to go deeper into it. So this is just a foretaste. Um, But this foundational verse of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26-27, is also the beginning of the gospel. And what is this? Here it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why is it the gospel? The image of God is our first leg. Made in the image and likeness of God, that's our first leg. Why is that the gospel? Part of the gospel. It is the gospel because we're not made in the monkey form. That's number one. 
All right? Second, it is the gospel because many people are lost today because they have lost their identity that they're made in the image and likeness of God. Many people want to flush themselves down the toilet. They want to take their life. They don't know where they're going. So they go into a, a lot of alternative forms of discovering themselves because they need to be reminded that they're made in the image and likeness of God. And the illustration is very simple. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Okay, let me ask you here. How many of you look like your mother? Raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you look like your father? Raise your hand. See? Uh, There seem to be more that look like their dads here. Okay. How many of you have more of the characteristics of your mother? Raise your hand. See? And how many of you have the characteristics more of your father? Raise your hand. You see, you're made in the image and likeness of your parents. So when it comes to God, there are things of God in His infinite nature that He has imparted to us. And we have a slice of it. That is what is meant by being made in His image and likeness. Where did we learn about beauty? Where did we learn about order? Or joy? Love? Mercy, compassion, justice, holiness, grace, all of these things and many more are learned from God. It is encoded in us. Of course, it's not as pristine as before because that's where we have to be delivered from, but it is there. It is in us. Okay? So, Here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, if you sit down with people who are looking for themselves and tell them, do you know what? That you are made in the image and likeness of God. And they'll, of course, ask you questions. And if you know something, you can share something with them. You may be able at that point in time to bless them by returning to them the idea that they were made in God's image and likeness. That is already the beginning of the gospel. Again, it is not everything because our gospels from Genesis to Revelation, but it is a start. It's an entry point where your foot is in. And if you're able to save a life who may have wanted to kill himself or herself, to remind them you're made in the image and likeness of God, you have saved a soul. Here in this verse, we're also, talk, uh, we're also taught about identity. You are supposed to do something. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the livestock, over all the earth. So here in Genesis chapter 1, we find the identity and destiny of man, which, if you're able to impart and share with others, is already bringing him in to the gospel. What then is the next? The next uh, verse I'd like to share with you has to do with the first one. And in Genesis chapter 1, we're taught that 
the Lord made the trees with seed in it, each according to their various kinds. Plants, animals, birds, fish, each according to their kind. Meaning to say, if I have an orange seed and I plant it, I would expect over time an orange tree with fruit and seed in it, orange. Same is true with macadamia nut. Same is true with Labradors and German Shepherds. So they follow their order because God is a God of order. We'll see that there. Now, if then we're made in the image and likeness of God and he planted us that way, what is his natural expectation of us over time? What would, she, what would we look like? I'll show you. Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 29. Of course, we like Romans chapter 8, verse 28. A favorite memory verse. But verse 29, I'd like to focus your eyes on something. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Focus and underline predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. What does this mean? This means that God's intention of creating us and planting us in the garden was to see that over time, we will look like his son, Jesus. That is really something. You know why? And the word predestined there helps us even appreciate it so much more. Because when we think of predestined, all other things come into mind. But predestined means God intended for us to look like his son, nothing else. That was his best image. And when this uh, verse got impressed on us, we realized that the church's main role is to help in conforming each one into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Just that simple. And if all programs, and there are a lot of programs here which we will tie up to what we're talking about here, the gearing is for everyone to look like Christ Jesus what do you think will happen when Jesus Christ comes? We'll show you what will happen. In Ephesians chapter 5. So the first leg, image of God. The second leg, image of Christ. Okay, Romans 8.29. The third leg of your chair is Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church okay, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. What does this mean? It means from the time that God designed us in his image and likeness and expected us to 
look like his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus now gets involved in our lives and he washes us with water through the word so that he may present us to himself as holy and radiant, spotless and blameless. Jesus is really into our act. And he's so interested in working with us. He's hoping for our cooperation. He's the one discipling us. He's the one that's disciplining us. He's doing everything because he wants to preserve us to that point where we reco- he recognizes us. He's not coming from, for a bride that does not look like him. He's coming for a bride that's in his image and likeness. And that will be to the joy and glory of the Father. You know, when this verse jumped out of us, Lord, do what you want to do. Let me be what you want me to be for you. Because you end up yielding to him. The Lord is preparing us as his bride. And anybody that knows bridal preparation, you go through a lot of messy things. Change is messy? Okay, you know that. And you go through a lot of those things, but if you don't know where you're going, you have a tendency to resist and rebel every time. But when you understand that God, the Son himself, is interested in how you look when he sees you face to face, you yield. Lord, yes, have me, clean me. And you don't mind going through the laundry several times. Why? Because you know that in his hands you can trust him to be able to deal with you in the way you need to be dealt. So that when he sees you, you see he's going to be with you forever. So you've got to look like him. We cannot present ourselves and say, Lord, you've got to accept me the way I am. Yes, he did in the beginning when you gave your life as a sinner. But you don't stay the way you are. He forms you and shapes you and cleanses you so that you're spotless and blameless. And here the thing is this, now you know the roadmap that this is where you're taking us, Lord. You're taking us to the point where you're preparing us. And why not? Who among you have prepared yourself to be dirty and sloppy for your wedding day? No one. When you wake up, you want to make sure that you're dressed well, you've gotten haircut, you've done beauty parlor, you've gone through makeup, you pulled out all the excess hairs, you <laughs> maybe added some where you wanted there to be hairs and things like that. But you presented yourself well, you dressed up well, you made sure your, your suit was pressed for the males, for the women, you made sure your gown was clean, dry clean, and then when you're going down the aisle, your groom waiting down for you recognizes you. And you recognize the groom. But this is the interesting part. You believe Jesus is going to come? He's going to come, right? When he comes down, every eye will see him. Not just the Christians, even the non-Christians, even those that hate God, even those that don't believe he exists, all of those people will see him. But who will he recognize? 
<laughs> only those that have made themselves ready. Only those that have made themselves ready. So even within the church, God is looking out from within the church who are deliberately and diligently making themselves ready so that when he comes down, he will recognize them. How many of you are conscious of this, these verses? Yes, Lord, because you're going to present us to himself. He's going to take us. And he's the one presenting to himself the bride. So, this thing about the bride of Christ is a very interesting thing because there are two parts in it. One is the preparation of the bride. And this is where, in the parables of the marriage feast, he checks many things. He checks if you're wearing the right clothes. Okay. He checks um, if you're ready, your lamps are ready. So this is not a free entrance to the wedding. There is an invitation. Many are called, but few are chosen to come in. We here tonight, you know, let me just encourage you. You come here on Wednesdays, you're extra special. Because you took time and effort to come here. Most likely, you're also here on Sundays. So you come here twice a week. You know, there are some churches that meet every day for dawn watch, and then they have Sunday. Why? Because they're excited to make themselves ready. So that when the Lord comes, they feel his coming is so soon that they're so sharp. And the Lord feeds them well. Why? Because they take time and effort. The Lord is always pursuing those that are pursuing him. He makes himself available. He releases himself. He prepares them even more. And that should be more or less the tenor. Not only to look like Christ, but to be prepared like a bride of Christ. Preparation. But then there's the other part about this area on bride of Christ, and that's the battle for the bride. There is a battle going on for the bride, and Jesus continues to pray for us. He fights for us. He protects the bride from the devil who does nothing but kill, steal, and destroy. And he does that in many ways. He does that by diverting our attention, breaking our focus, distracting us. He does that because he is jealous. The enemy is so jealous, he can never be a bride. But we can. We can and we must hold on to that heritage, that legacy. Lord, you didn't just make me in your image and like this. You didn't just want me to become like your son, Jesus. You want me to become like your bride. And would you not be willing to be his bride? Because on the other hand, the devil steals the bride. There is this practice in Kyrgyzstan, and you can look at it in YouTube. It's called bridal kidnapping. And in bridal kidnapping, here's a man that looks at a woman and likes that woman, doesn't care whether she's... Um, single or going to be married, as long as she's not married. And then he kidnaps her and takes her home. And the people, uh, the folks of that guy, are waiting in the home for her. 
And she's there, you know, she's crying. I don't know why I'm here. But that's a practice they have. Lo and behold, doesn't Satan do that to his children? He likes to steal from the churches, bring them to his place. And, you know, for a while they're like this. They don't know. And later on they just get used to that place where they're kidnapped. And the church is meant to protect them by teaching them strong things so that they can refuse to be kidnapped. Because Jesus Christ himself is the one that is defending us. And he's defending us through your pastors, your leaders, your disciple group, friends, and so on and so forth. Why? You don't want to be kidnapped. We do not want to be kidnapped. Because in the end, in Revelation chapter 19, something great is going to happen. So, just to review, the first one is, can you repeat, image of God. The second one, image of Christ. The third one, bride of Christ. And then the fourth one, Revelation chapter 19, starting verse 6 onward to verse 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. See? Then it continued. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. In other words, the word that God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and let there be a wedding, is the same God. Everything in it is going to happen as he said so. That is gospel. That is part of the gospel that we bear. That the things here are going to take place. They are going to happen. And when the Lord receives us, he will want to make sure that everybody that's there in the marriage supper is a bride that's made ready. This should be our goal individually. Everyone should think, am I bridal ready? And you know what? You'll begin to review. Review many things. Why? Before the time that we're made in the image, we come into the image and likeness of Christ, we undergo a process. And this process is both natural and it is also spiritual. What is this process? This is the process of natural development. What happens during this time? In the natural development process, we go through conception, pregnancy, birth, infancy, puberty, marriage, and then old age, then finally we die. So 
when we become born again, we are not instantly in the image of Jesus Christ. We are being conformed towards that, but we go through a process, and that process is an extended process of being saved, the process of salvation, where it involves rescue. We're being rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light. Then, we're rescued from troubled and ruined situations. Then, we're being repaired and restored in our spiritual and natural relationships. First with God, then with man, woman, our spouse, our children, everyone. We even have to be reconciled with our work. Then, we realize our deed and repent and even have a lifestyle of repenting, which is fine, because that's part of being washed with the water through the Word. That it does not happen that you launder only once, you launder often. And that's why Jesus had to wash Peter's feet. And as often as he needed to be washed, he would remember that, that Jesus had to wash him. And we need to be washed often, every day. So, as we're going through these stages of our spiritual walk, we have to realize that it is a process. And in that change and development, things are going to be up and things are going to be down. So since this is all related to marriage, I am reminded of um, the 38 years that my wife and I have been married You see, marriage itself, just like a relationship with God, goes through stages. There is the springtime of a love relationship where everything just looks so fine and grand. You know, nothing she does is wrong. Everything she says is right. She smells so good. Her sweat smells good. You know, whatever... Okay, it's good. Because I'm in love with her. And when our relationship with God, we also feel the same way. When we're new Christians, wow. You know, you pray and it gets answered. And you pray for others, it gets answered. You pray for yourself, it gets answered. Like, wow, this is a Christian life. Okay, and you go through a stage from the springtime love, okay, to a summertime love with the Lord, and that's really where you're so hot with the Lord, just like you're also so hot with your wife or your girlfriend. And then later on, you go through the autumn stage. And in the autumn stage, things begin to settle. You're cool, so you take people for granted. You take your wife for granted. You take Jesus for granted. You take God for granted. The Holy. So you kind of cool off. And then winter begins to set in. So in winter, that's where you experience everything doesn't work anymore. But how is that? You're married to the same woman. So we have had to learn to endure the seasons of love. In the same way that we have to endure seasons of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, with God our Father. It's not always going to be fine. But you know what? If you last that winter, you're on to a next season, and it's going to be better. 
And that is the very thing that we wait for. Lord, we know that all these seasons in life are passing through. And so even in the description of the love, you have storge love, which is the fond love, enjoyable love. Then you have the eros love, which is passionate love. Then you have phileo, or cool brother-sister love. But it's the agape, which the Bible talks about most, that's where you're tested in your winter times. And in our relationship with God, in understanding this whole paradigm, which is a bridegroom paradigm of marriage with the Lord, in preparing yourself, prepare yourself to go through difficult times. But that is also part of the gospel. You know why? Because when you see your Savior face to face, you will weep, you will embrace him because you know that you've done it, you have been with him, been loyal to him to the very end. And there is a price for that loyalty. He will just release himself with so much favor upon you. And this is what he had to hold his disciples to because they were also freaking out. They were experiencing all sorts of kinds of trouble and worse yet when he left. But see, it was not the miracles and the things that were happening. That was, that was a springtime love and summer love. But later on, he said, you're going to leave us? What's that? And then you left us. That's winter time. But they held on until their death. Why? Because this paradigm of being married with the Lord, with their Savior, was so ingrained in their minds, that even if their heads were to be cut off, that would be okay. They would see him face to face so quickly. You know, um, we think small scale. We think of self, preparing ourselves. We think medium scale, and we want our families to also be there in that paradigm where they're preparing themselves as the bride of Christ. But you can think also large scale, larger scale, when you think of the whole church. And God right now is actually looking for churches that are preparing themselves as a bride for their son Jesus. And not just the Wednesday group, but the Monday to Sunday group, the whole church, that everybody will be so ingrained deeply in love with the Lord that without Pastor Sheldon looking, everybody's preparing themselves to be the bride of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is looking. The Holy Spirit is looking. And he's the one that's encouraging you. Yes, yes, prepare yourself because I'm coming soon. And you replay that every day in your life. Yes, he is coming soon. What will happen then? He will one day use the church to be able to release the same message to other churches. You know Hawaii? It, was, it had a, a revival in the mid-1800s with Titus Koan. And we read through a little bit uh, through the internet about it. And we were excited because Hawaii then has the seed for a national revival. What's your nation? Your islands. That is your nation. For you, it's Hilo. And to be able to see 
the Lord once more, number one in Hilo, hot as a volcano. Okay? Wow, that will really be something. When Jesus comes down, the whole island is taken. Everybody's winning. Because we're to disciple nations. That was the thing that the Lord told us. We come from the Philippines. There's 7,107 islands. And there is a, um, uh, a move, a sense right now to prepare the whole nation as a bridal nation. Not everyone is there yet, but there is a critical mass that's already there. And so the prophetic destiny of the nation to become a missionary sending nation is already beginning to take place. We are not forgetting that in 1521, the cross of Christ was planted in our church. And from there, we're deriving that strength. Our nation was named after Philip, not King Philip. They thought it was Philip, King Philip, but it's actually Philip the evangelist, the one that was exported to Ethiopia. Yes, and so that gene is in us, even in the caregivers and the domestic helpers that are all over the world, they're bearing the gospel for Jesus Christ. So we want to be able to be counted as an entire nation. Of course, we know it's not going to be 100%. There is always a remnant, but that critical mass is good enough to make a difference. And we know that new hope you can give a lot of new hope to many people to be released there because you yourself have entered into the gospel and allowed yourself to be prepared as a bride for your Savior, Jesus Christ, so that when he comes, he recognizes each of you that have given yourself to him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? So, in the coming days that we will be spending here in, in Hawaii with uh, our hosts, Lester and Susie, and Christy and Obed, and Sherry, uh, and Wendy, we will be sharing this news to be able to lay strong foundations so that it will last even if we undergo persecution. Because... Um, it's happening worldwide, and we have to prepare for whatever thing may come because in the first century, people died for their faith. What makes the 21st century any different? Okay. And we are told of the systems that will be installed, but we don't have a system. We have a person that we can embrace, that we can love, and he will love us because he designed us for us. Right now, I just want us to be able to close our eyes. And we will enter into a time where we betroth ourselves to our Savior and groom, Jesus Christ. And we know that during this time, yes, you knew you were a child of God, a babe in Christ, and you've gone through the process of becoming more mature as sons and daughters, 
But there's something different, a level up higher, when you're preparing yourself to be wedded to our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. While the worship team comes to be able to set the atmosphere, begin to hear the words of the Savior speak to you as he's tagging you in a very special way. Tonight, things will begin to change and you will be brought to a higher level. And all of these things that you're doing will begin to make sense and you will be able to focus. This is what the Lord is doing and why he's doing it. And to be yielded so that the things in us that should not be there, we can now easily give up and release. Those of you who may be led to rise up and to say, Lord, I want to be betrothed to you. I want to make myself a bride made ready. This is not a male or female thing about the bride because it's a collective thing. It's God, our creator, and all of us, the ones created in his image and likeness. Lord, release your bridal anointing tonight to all people that are here. And even with some who may even want to go further to really not only prepare themselves but help prepare other people. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us the spectrum to understand and to know that you have been releasing this message more and more now because the day is coming soon. Thank you, Lord God. stand with me tonight. Can we just say thank you to Pastor Alberto as he, as he leads us and, and thank you so much.